0: Hi, from Beyond the Beltway, this is Bruce Dumont with our weekly analysis of national politics featuring occasional injections of rumor and window, all offered up by our panel of political insiders, pundits, power brokers, public servants, professors, and most importantly, plain-speaking Americans from coast to coast. Tonight featuring commentary by conservative commentator Bruno Berend, Esther Joy King, a representative of Vake Rameshwamy, Richard Porter, the Illinois Republican National Committeeman. And in our second hour, we'll be joined by Charles Lipson, a University of Chicago professor emeritus. Nice to have you with us. We're live from our studios here at AM560 just outside Chicago in Elk Grove Village here for the next two hours, 1-800-723-8289, primarily elective politics. In our first hour this evening, we'll be talking about uh, Israel and Gaza in primarily hour number two when Charles Lipsum joins us. But phone lines open, 1-800-723-8289. We've got a great panel for us tonight to begin, and uh, we're going to begin by talking about the debate which took place last week in Miami, Uh, a lot of reaction to that. And uh, I want to begin by, uh, in studio, I have Richard Porter, who's an Illinois National Republican Committeeman uh, for the last nine years. Bruno Barron, a frequent guest on this program, a libertarian conservative. He joins us uh, across the table from me tonight. But we're also joined by Esther Joy King, and she is here because she is representing Vivek Ramaswamy. Uh, she has run for Congress a couple of times in downstate Illinois, and uh, she's a bright light in the Republican Party, and we welcome her uh, to join us as well. Uh, I want to begin with you, uh, if I may, Esther. Um, what was your reaction when when you saw and heard Vivek say the things that he said during the debate, which some people have viewed and called rude? Bruce,
1: First of all, thank you so much for having me to represent Vivek. I am Mm -hmm. on Vivek's campaign team and we're barnstorming Iowa right now. So I'm talking to you today from Iowa. Mm -hmm. The reaction to the debate, I find it fascinating that there's been two separate interpretations of what happened on the debate post debate. Mm -hmm. And it, it kind of represents the division in the Republican party that There's one group of people that came out of it that said Vivek crashed and burned. However, all the data supports that he was the winner bar none of the debate. And the reason I say that is that night Vivek was the number one trending topic on Twitter. He was the number one searched name on Google. Our fundraising was higher uh, than all the other campaigns. So when you look at the the data that supports, where did people's mm-hmm. attention go? What did the people really appreciate? And Vivek was the winner. The, the The mainstream media, New York Times made Nikki Haley the winner and they hated Vivek Ramaswamy, said he he fell on his face. But that's the New York Times, right? So who do you want to stand oh, yeah. with? Do you want to stand with mainstream media? Or do you want to
0: stand with the people? No, I. I by the way, just to give you my response, well, that first answer, I was saying, "Holy yes, go, 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 go!" Not so much because of uh, Ronnie McDonald, but again, uh, but uh, McDaniel, but what he had to say uh, to Lester Holt on the NBC people. I mean, he called upon them to really explain, uh, you know, the, their whole history with the with RussiaGate. So I really liked it. To me, uh, I think he won the talk show uh, hosts' uh, opinion. Because they like they like fire and brimstone, and he gave it. But my question to you, coming back, this is as a almost as a as in a personal way now. Um, in the in the battle between he and uh, and Nikki Haley, did he go too far when he brought up her daughter in the part of the discussion that dealt with TikTok? Well, one key uh,
1: conversation topic that's been happening on in the in response to that is that if we're not if we're making adult children off limits, we better not talk about Hunter Biden as Republicans. And so Nikki Haley's daughter is an adult. And so do I think that we should have been fighting about TikTok topics? Probably not. It wasn't the best representation for what Republican primary voters Mm -hmm. needed to be able to make a decision for who they're voting for. But the The attacks on the attack, so to say, uh, if you apply that logic across the board, it's pretty hypocritical.
0: Okay. Uh, I want to get a reaction from our in-studio guest, Richard Porter, uh, to you. Uh, You're you're for Ron DeSantis. We should mention that. Yep. But uh, what is your reaction to what Rameshwamy had to say and that, that battle between he and uh, Nikki Haley. Did it go too far as a, as a longtime political guy? Did you cringe when you heard him say that?
2: Well, I, I was in Miami in the audience, and the reaction was uniform in the building, which was,
0: oh, it just,
2: it just didn't feel right. Now, I think if, he'd, if he qualified it by saying your adult daughter, because I think everybody was sort of picturing a 12-year-old doing a TikTok, uh, mm-hmm. And that really would be out of bounds. And, and I think that Esther's point, as usual, Esther's fabulous, uh, is a good one, which is if this is an adult daughter, uh, that's just a different kettle of fish. And, uh, and so I think that without that context, it was off the mark. With that context, it would have been more appropriate.
0: <clears throat> Bruno Baron, to you, when she referred to Ramaswamy as scum, what was your reaction to that? That well, that might have been the lowest point. That of That was well.
3: Fortunately for her, that kind of got buried in applause lines and the continuous uh, interruption from the the um, moderators that stopped everybody at some uh, arbitrary minute and a half mark or whatever. They they I thought it, they definitely did a better job moderating than the idiots at Fox. And I didn't watch the Fox debate, but that's just stuff that I've heard. I, I think that the entire panel should have been embarrassed in their level of attacks on everybody I think DeSantis again probably the most stable of all of them uh, avoiding attacking anybody unnecessarily I, I one of the things that I find so annoying about the and, and you know Bruce I was gonna I was gonna get on your case because when you called me and invited me on the show you asked had I watched the debate and I told you generally I don't watch debates anymore because they're too painful and this was no exception this was a painful debate to listen to but I did listen to the whole thing today and, and again, Listen or watch? Uh, I, well, I, I had it on YouTube, and I would watch it on occasion, okay. but I was also trying to—my um, my yard is completely buried sure, in the leaves, it. so I was trying to do some background noise, background noise and everything. But it was—you know, I'm a policy guy, and I was impressed with—like, all of them came up with some decent policy, and all of them are a far cry—far or a far, far and above— any of the democrats you could possibly imagine I'm, I'm trying to imagine a democrat other than possibly Joe Manchin but what 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 really bothers me about these debates is that um, first of all the the worst people in the world for the Republican Party are the gaggle of idiot consultants who tell these people that they have to speak to the lowest common denominator they have to speak fast they have to attack each other they have to find some way to break out of the pack and 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 these kinds of consultants are destroying the Republican Party in that all any of these people ever do is attack each other and they go after each other. You you let this I company don't get. The,
0: I don't. I don't get a sense that uh, uh, that Vivek is 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 a consultant's dream. Joy, does he listen to anybody? Well, yeah, he listens
2: to Charlie Kirk, and uh, you oh, know, there's oh, they, well, they there were bragging go. online about okay. how they coached him to make that attack line. Okay. Uh, these that are horrible a, attack yeah, yeah. lines. Well, all they're yeah.
3: doing is undermining a person's ability. All they're doing when they do that is undermining that person's ability to win the general election. Okay. And it's just awful.
0: Okay. Does he back shortly? But here's my question. Uh, Joe, yes, sir, We're going to go to you when we come back. We got a break. But my question to you was, was he auditioning? Vivek, was he auditioning to be Donald Trump's running mate? Think about it. We'll talk about it when I come back. I'm Bruce Dumont.
4: Jersey Mike's you can elevate any sub by getting the juice red wine vinegar and an olive oil blend it's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zinc and how bites get boosted the juice adds a certain something extra an exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings the kind of exclamation you can eat order Jersey Mike subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from
5: your nearest Jersey Mike sub location Jersey Mike's be a sub above Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu.
4: I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it?
0: There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right?
6: One vape pod has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My kid. My kid. 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 knows it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council. Hi, I'm Dr. Nia Hergaris with today's tip for kids from the American Academy of Pediatrics. As parents, we want our children to grow up healthy and strong. That means helping teens take responsibility for their health as they become young adults. One way to do that is to make sure they have one-on-one time with their pediatrician. That helps them become comfortable talking about any health issue with their doctors and with you. So make sure to give your teen a voice. It's good for their health. For more on teen health, visit HealthyChildren.org.
4: This is the story of a very special woman. She masqueraded as a regular person at work, but as a superhero at home. Everyone knows her as Gabriella. I still call her mom. Your hero needs you now, and AARP is here to help. Find the care guides you need to help, complete with tips and resources, at aarp.org caregiving. A public service announcement brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council.
0: Bruce Dumont back, and uh, we're going to go to Esther Joy King. She is representing uh, Vivek Rameshwamy tonight. And my question to you, uh, which I posed before the break, Esther, was, uh, is uh, Vivek really running to be Donald Trump's running mate?
1: Anyone who is proposing that, Bruce, isn't exactly paying attention very closely. If, if you listen to Vivek, you will hear him talk about why he's running, even with Trump, running as well. He's running for the future of our country. He's running for his sons. If he thought that Donald Trump was the best option, he wouldn't be running for president. So if you really truly listen to him, he is absolutely running to win this. And it shows on the ground. His message is resonating with voters. The 10 truths, if you have heard him speak, it's pretty powerful just outlining back to basic conservative values that we believe in. We believe in not just conservative values, American values, that God is real, that there are no. just two genders, that human flourishing requires fossil fuels. But, es- but Esther,
0: when, I, when I'm listening to him, I never hear him criticize Donald Trump. I mean, he, he basically, in fact, I believe he was the first one to say that he would pardon Donald Trump. If if Trump were convicted of something, so every time I hear him say something, I'm saying okay, I think Donald Trump would like that because I, I mean Donald Trump obviously has a very thin skin, and he, certainly of those that were on that that stage the other night, uh, you know it seems to me that he could be a running mate. And my question my question to you, and this is a question for everybody, is his big? And I start with I'm gonna start with Bruno. Bruno, is his biggest problem I'm talking about Vivek now. Mm -hmm. Is his biggest problem is that he's thirty eight years old? Uh,
3: yes and no it could also be his greatest asset right he is the youngest he's exceedingly articulate people could figure out he was articulate if he could just slow down his speech for thirty seconds or a few less words per per second or whatever he talks too fast and he's 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 like it's like watching a college basketball game as opposed to an nba game it's just like a, a bunch of young people rushing around bouncing the ball really hard as opposed to professionalism um, and that's not to say he's not smart like i said i listen to all of them as a policy wonk and each of those candidates made sense and that's what makes me so mad about and, and I blame Trump for this, and this is why I hope DeSantis beats Trump. I, I hope any one of them beat Trump, but split, they're not going to. Um, we have reached the Trumpification of the GOP in that. And it's not that it wasn't happening uh, before Trump, but it, got, it really got worse. But it's like all people can do is insult people and throw crap at each other. And, and, and this, is in, this is in a debate where each and every one of them far outshined any one of the potential Democrats that are out there um if there is such thing as a thoughtful centrist democrat i don't they must be burying them somewhere because you don't see any of them publicly our team our bench is much deeper than their bench we are a much smarter and better party we should be winning more things instead of losing things and instead what we have up there is all of these idiots mistreating each other and it was okay. just embarrassing, and and Vivek was the one that was doing the most of it because he's the one that's somewhere in you know third or fourth or fourth or third or someone, and he's trying he's trying very hard to scramble into second or whatever, Richard, and it's just embarrassing.
0: Richard Porter, you know Vivek, he was a client of yours. Tell us, without revealing, uh, so a lawyer is client, absolutely
2: Spirit. brilliant guy. I mean, there's just no question, and I think he's got a very developed um, worldview, it's, which is really a remarkable thing for someone both of his age but also what he's been doing, and so I think, he's a, I think he's a deep thinker. Now, that said, I think that because he's so brilliant, he suffers from the, the sin of, of not considering the possibility that he might be wrong, and I think that comes with seasoning. And I think that's what he's missing, essentially, is seasoning and kind of prudence and judgment. Um, so it's so, arrogant.
0: It comes across as arrogance.
2: It comes across that way, but I think it's it's less arrogance than it's I mean, for good reason. He's he's a very, very bright guy, but you know, he's the sort of person who I think needs to have people around him to challenge him, that he's that he's welcoming the challenge, to refine his thinking and to make it better. Uh, and to recognize that he he's capable of making mistakes and he's and by interacting with other people he can actually become a better uh Better candidate, a better leader.
0: We've got a caller. Steven in Tennessee is listening to us. He wants to weigh in on this discussion. Go ahead, Steven. Nice to have you with us tonight.
6: Yeah, it's nice to be with you, Bruce. I've watched the Republican debates. I've actually watched all of them. And the thing that's interesting to me is people are saying, oh, well, we need a new direction for the country. But from a policy perspective, there is no new direction that I feel that Republicans have for the country. And that's coming as like, a Democrat that sits and consumes the Republican debates to try and figure out, okay, do the Republicans have a better option this time around? And I haven't heard that.
2: Oh, my goodness. I mean, on every issue. I mean, what issue wouldn't they be better at? I mean, think about immigration. Uh, You know, the idea that you've just thrown the doors open on the southern border and let people come through, Uh, you know, clearly that would be a better policy to actually shut the doors and make people, you know, come through with some kind of basis. Stephen, what's the answer? What's the
6: yes, subject? So we'll, that- take we'll take your premise for immigration. The Democrats offered them immigration. The House refused it. They voted against it. I, they literally said, "We'll give you what you want on immigration. We're we're done with this argument." No. What did they say this? Yeah, <laughs> they, I, I don't. I, I, I don't know. Never what,
3: happened. Uh, you must be in a part of Tennessee. The, the, actually, the opposite is true. I'm not a Trump fan, but Trump was the one who was offering. Uh, um, dreamers a way in and it was the Democrats who refused to do that because they couldn't give Trump a win. I mean, I, I, so you want to try a second issue? I mean, you know, go for, go for two.
6: I mean, my premise is correct. Are you saying that the Republicans weren't offered a bill from the Democrats as a compromise bill? Are you saying the
2: Democrats have never accepted the premise that the border has to be secure? OK, the border must be secure as part of okay, any so kind of a deal. And if you just I mean, the idea of just kind of floating some bill, we're going to make a whole bunch of new Democratic voters and you knuckleheads are going to fall for it. I mean, what planet are you on? That's not going to happen.
6: New Democratic voters, you have to be a naturalized citizen to vote. What are you talking about?
2: Even the Democrat voters today, you I look in come- Chicago, you go downtown, you go down to the south side, you go to the west side, the Hispanic communities, the black communities. They're fed up with this. The idea that somehow
0: people that just wander across the border get more support from the government than the people living Steve, here their whole life. Steve, I'm going to say farewell to you right now. We'll pick this up in hour number two. But again, we've only got uh, uh, Esther Joy for another five minutes with us now. So, so Esther Joy, to you, 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 you mentioned that there's been good reaction in Iowa. But as I understand it, his poll numbers in Iowa have gone down. His poll numbers in New Hampshire have gone down. How has the fundraising been in reaction to these televised debates where he has been perceived as the winner by at least many people uh, listening or at least viewed as an enemy by the New York Times, which is that's a big plus in a Republican primary?
1: We've certainly had very successful grassroots fundraising. But one reason that Vivek has the capacity to be so bold in his thoughts and in his thinking is he's not beholden to any donors in the donor class. And so for him, being his number one largest donor himself, he is able to be disruptive in his thinking and ideas. And and that's kind of what has created him as a candidate, that he gets to be disruptive in the conversation. And I I want to go back to the the 38-year-old you asked earlier the question of is that an asset sure, and right not only is it an, an is it an asset for vivek himself it's also an asset for the republican party vivek is throwing wide the doors to ex- accessibility for young people and he's bringing more young people and by being excellent in communication on social media platforms that kind of thing he's attracting people to our party And that is a huge asset that we have as a party that we need to learn to capitalize on rather than having the establishment class criticize or lash out at him, asking what is he doing right and how can we use that as an asset to expand how we bring people into the party. And that's going to be a key strategy that skyrockets Vivek to the top, uh, we believe, as a team for the 2024 primaries. I
0: mentioned uh, that uh, you are representing him this evening. You're working in Iowa, as you said earlier in the interview. Uh, In the case of Vivek, did he come to you and offer you a job, or did you go to him and seek a job?
1: So during my run for Congress, Vivek was a friend and supporter, and uh, he called me up and said, Esther, I know you believe in the mission of saving our country would you join my team? So that's how I ended up on Team Vivek.
0: Okay. And if there's one thing, will will you will he ever hear from his wife or see a little bit more about his personal life?
1: Okay. So that's a great question, Bruce. I, Aporva is his wife and he has two young boys, Karthik and Arjun, who are three and one. Mm-hmm. And they're, they're featured pretty prominently. Aporva, she is more of a badass than Vivek is. She is a surgeon. She's a a throat surgeon at OSU uh, Teaching Hospital and she does surgery to save people's lives from Monday through Friday and then joins the campaign trail on Saturdays and Sundays when she can and she loves the campaign trail and has done a lot in and helped build the Women's Coalition and things like that uh, but she is a pretty extraordinary human being as well.
0: And uh, one last question. Where is he a resident? If she if she is in Louisiana, I th- I thought that he was a resident of Ohio. She's in she's at uh,
1: OSU, Ohio, Ohio State Medical School. Ohio State. Yeah. okay. she's they're, they're in Ohio.
0: Okay. And my OSU, last my, my my last question. Sorry, my last question to you is: uh, This is a solicitous now, but uh, he was a guest on this program uh, in a sort of a, a backhanded way about three or four months ago. Uh, can you see if you can get him to be a guest on Beyond the Beltway some night and maybe take some telephone calls?
2: I think he will have more free time in a couple of weeks uh, once we get past the Iowa caucuses. I think
0: we're spending a lot of time with Vivek.
2: I love Vivek, brilliant guy. He's not going to be fit. He's not going to be there at the end. <clears throat> what What's
0: the question, I'll, Esther, I'll or the answer?
1: you in touch with our communications
0: team. Okay, Bruce. very good. Okay, Esther Joy <laughs> King has joined She's only available for our, or for the first half hour of the broadcast, which is why we've been uh, vivate, uh focused here. But uh, Esther Joy King, thank you very much for joining us. We will continue and talk more about other candidates, including uh, Ron DeSantis and uh, also Nikki Haley. We haven't talked much about her this evening. We'll do that when we come back. I'm Bruce Dumont from Coast to Coast, border to border, and around the world at beyondthebeltway.com.
5: Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu let's be honest the national symphony may not be in his future but he wanted to try violin so you said yes because you love him and if you love him that much love him enough to make sure he's buckled up and in the back seat find out more about keeping your kids safe in your vehicle at nhtsa.gov slash the right seat show him you love them keep him safe visit NHTSA.gov slash the right seat. Brought to you by the National Highway Traffic Safety Administration and the Ad Council.
1: Matthew. Uh, Oh, sorry. It's okay. I just need you to listen to me.
5: I know that a lot of times, Mom, it might not seem like I'm listening
6: to you, but I am. I hear you. And what you say really does matter to me. I mean, let's be honest. No kid likes rules, but I get why we
4: have them. I hear you, and I know it's because you care.
3: For more information about talking with your kids about underage use of alcohol and other drugs, visit underagedrinking.samsa.gov.
4: I think it's just vapor. Vaping is safer than smoking, isn't it?
0: There's really not even that much nicotine in them, right?
6: One vape pot has as much nicotine as one pack of cigarettes. My
5: kid? My
0: kid, My kid. My kid. knows
6: it's dangerous. 5.4 million American kids vape, and most think it's harmless. Get your head out of the cloud. Talk to your kid about vaping. Visit talkaboutvaping.org. That's talkaboutvaping.org. Brought to you by the American Lung Association and the Ad Council.
0: Bruce Dumont, we continue with our guests in studio. And again, uh, we have talked a lot about Vivek in the first half hour of the broadcast this evening. But each of our guests in studio with me right now, uh, they are supportive of uh, Ron DeSantis. And my question to you is, I'm going to start with you, Richard. You're a member of the Republican National Committee. Mm -hmm. And I would like to take a little time to talk about, because the audience hears about that from time to time. But they may not know exactly what does that committee do during... Uh, you know, non-election times. And and, uh, how much power and influence do you have in selecting candidates to run under the Republican banner?
2: Uh, I have the same power that each of the other uh, viewers on this show have, which is I have the chance to vote. I have the chance to persuade other people about what I think is the right thing to do. And maybe from, you know, by reason of being in my perch, it helps a little bit. But the truth is, Uh, The Republican Party is a bottoms-up organization. It's not a top-down kind of uh, organization. The Democrats are more top-down. And so we take our guidance. Where we go as as a party is driven by the ordinary voters, the volunteers, the people knocking on doors, the canvassers. Those are the people that drive who our nominee is going to be. But thanks for asking about the RNC. Is
0: that new? Uh, No, I I don't think so. I mean, I think it's been – Was that the case uh, when Bob Dole was the nominee and –
2: Sure. No, it was. I and I think that the nature of the party was a little bit different then. It was more of a mm-hmm. suburban party. Um, it was more of a professional's party, a business party. And today we're a party of small business, farmers, and labor uh, workers. And so it's a different makeup. A coalition is a different coalition now than it was 20
0: years ago. If Donald Trump does not end up as the Republican nominee, can the Republicans win an election without the enthusiastic support of the Trumpsters? Well, this is one of the reasons why
2: I think DeSantis is the right call because DeSantis is actually liked by almost all the Trumpers. If you ask the question of the Republican base, um, give us both your first and your second choice of Republicans. He is either the first or second choice of 89% of all Republicans. He unifies the base more than Trump does, uh, more than anyone else does. And so that's why if we, if we can move past Trump and get to DeSantis, we're going to get some fabulous conservative policies executed in a very efficient and uh, effective way. Um, so we get the conservatism without a lot of the other noise that goes along But again, along with when it. Donald <clears throat>
0: Trump z- zeroes in on him as Ron DeSantis sanctimonious, I mean, he has taken more personal shots at DeSantis than anybody else.
2: Because he recognizes that he is the greatest threat to his dominance of the party at this point. And For all practical purposes, Donald Trump is running as the incumbent. He's running as if he's in office. And so these other candidates are, by the very nature of this dynamic, insurgents in the campaign. Bruno, in your
0: view, what happens to the country if Donald Trump wins? And what happens to the country if the Republican candidate loses the next president's
3: Well, when you say Donald Trump wins the nomination...
0: He wins the nomination and he's elected president of the United States. What does that? What does that? Is that good for you? You, Is that your favorite? I mean, he's not my favorite.
3: He. uh, What happened? He's no. He's. I will. I will do everything I can to defeat Democrats and undermine Democrats everywhere and anywhere I can, whether Donald Trump is a nominee or not, because the Democrats simply have to lose. I don't. I, I think Donald Donald Trump is the least strong candidate against the Democrats. Whoever the, you know, he he's. He's obviously uh, better. Biden is the weakest candidate they could possibly still put forward. Although they are in a very, very tough situation in trying to slip Newsom or Michelle Obama or uh, uh, Kamala Harris or anybody else. Um, you know, quite frankly, there's there are problems with each of those candidates. So as bad as as bad as the situation is for the GOP right now, I'd rather have our problems than their problems. But
0: would you, would you, Bruno Berend, would you vote for Donald Trump? If Donald Trump is convicted uh, of something on Election Day,
3: well, fortunately, you know, here in Illinois, I don't have to vote for Donald Trump because he's not going to win the state anyway. But I, if I were in a, if I were in a swing state, if I were in Georgia, I'd vote for Donald Trump. Um, And and I'm saying that begrudgingly because I really honestly don't like him. And I don't think I don't you know, it's like all of his all of his people talk like he's 10 feet tall and he walked astride the earth and saved humanity. This is nonsense. That's what Ronald Reagan did. Donald Trump outperformed expectations and and up until COVID hit. And then he kind of biffed COVID enough. He didn't do it entirely and it wasn't all his fault, but he biffed COVID enough that he was able to be taken out even though he got 10 million more votes than he, get, he did four years before.
0: Richard, you are an attorney, you've been an officer of the court for your entire adult life. Could you vote for Donald Trump if on election day, he has been convicted of something?
2: I plan to vote for whoever the Republican nominee is. And I think uh, the idea of talking about Donald Trump being convicted as a felon is way ahead of the curve. We don't have any idea what the evidence is gonna be at those trials and we don't know how that's gonna turn out. I believe a fair finder of fact will recognize that there's been a kind of pursuit of Donald Trump that's gone on from the very day that he entered office and that has not been some fair prosecution. So I'm going to wait and see what happens on those trials. But I, am, I intend to vote for the Republican nominee come November, whoever that might be. I happen to think that the best candidate in the field is Ron DeSantis. But the truth is, I think it's one of the things that Bruno said. Any one of these candidates would be an effective president, and would be better than the current president that we have today.
0: I asked the question a few minutes ago about what what does the RNC do? Uh, tell me a little bit more about that role that you have, and and uh, uh, is it one of persuasion? Or... So no, no, the, the RNC
2: really is like the road, and the candidates are the vehicles on the road. We try to create the infrastructure to facilitate candidates to do what they do. Candidates choose their own consultant, they choose their own messaging, they build their team for whatever it is they need to do, and it it varies by the district where they're running. So the the candidates are like small entrepreneurs, and we provide some of the backroom services that facilitate their running. So for example, uh, we will provide the data services uh, about the voters, and so that they can do some modeling around that to identify who's likely to like their message. Um, we provide information services in addition for uh, training, for example, about the, for the candidates. We also provide uh, litigation support now. One of the things we've done over the last three years, we were barred by a consent decree for 40 years. Now we're doing more and more around election security. It's a major feature of what the RNC does. Um, we have, we're involved in more than 80 lawsuits around the country. So we're a major uh, litigation shop now. We provide data services. We provide modeling services, training. But it's all backroom stuff. The candidates themselves
0: choose the message on which they run. They choose the path they're going to take. Does Donald Trump, if Donald Trump were here tonight, do you think he would say that the RNC has performed and treated him fairly over the last, say, year and a half?
2: Donald Trump was very complimentary at the Republican Jewish Coalition, the RJC meeting in Las Vegas. He uh, uh, on tape was talking about uh, how much he appreciated Ronna McDaniel, and he proudly appointed her and thinks she's done a great job. So I think he'd like to see the debates go away because he's the front runner, and I think he'd just soon not have that competition. Uh, but beyond that, he is a supporter of Ronna McDaniel because of the fine work that she's done recognizing that this is primarily a fundraising operation. It's not a message shop. And so people have the wrong impression of what the RNC does. We're here to provide support services. We're not out in front defining uh, what the messages should be. Here's a
0: story. I'll be in just a moment, Bruno, but uh, here's a story that I heard, uh, you know, uh, back in 2012. I heard that when Donald Trump appeared to be rolling towards the Republican nomination – 16, yeah, uh-huh. uh, 60. There were there were a lot of people that were uh, that got together. They were they were concerned about who was going to be a heartbeat away, and they didn't want Donald Trump just to pick his own running mate. They used the power and influence, including of the RNC, to basically propel and push Mike Pence as an acceptable conservative, who really was there to watch over, representing the establishment. To watch over Donald Trump, so is the there story any on truth
2: that. to that? The story on that actually, it's even more fun than that. So Donald Trump had offered the vice presidency to Chris Christie. It's one of the reasons there's this bitter split between <laughs> Trump and Christie. Uh, but Christie had prosecuted Jared's father, so Christie right. was poisoned to Jared. So the kids, the Trump kids, got together and decided that Pence was the right person for the vice president. And so what they did is they arranged, they pushed their dad. Go meet with him. Go spend some time with him. And if you go back and look in the news stories, when he went to meet with Pence, there was a little news story that the plane was broken. The plane was out of commission. So he had to stay. And he had to stay and have dinner. And then by golly, he had to have breakfast. And then the plane suddenly got better and they were able to fly out. The plane was never broken. (laughs) It was. The kids basically set it up. They They managed their dad and they steered him towards Mike Pence. That wasn't the RNC. That was uh, Ivanka, and it was Jared, and it was uh, uh, Donald Jr. and so forth that, uh, who would, that
0: managed that. Who would the RNC or the establishment – because, again, the RNC is usually always referred to as the establishment um, – who, who would they be whispering in Donald Trump's ear to be a running mate this time?
2: Well, I don't, I don't necessarily take the characterization of the RNC as the establishment because it's people that are elected from the state parties, and the state parties, again, we reflect whatever the nature is of that state party. Um, I, I think that they would like to see someone that counterbalances and brings other strengths uh, to the office. Mike Pence, while he was vice president, did really a terrific job supporting the president and delivering a message. He was very strong with our evangelical voters. So I think that it's going to be part of you know an electoral strategy, to look at the field and decide who can add the most to that candidacy. But again, I think we'll be better off if we have a Ron, San- Ron DeSantis and maybe Kim Reynolds uh, kind of a ticket going forward. Who was, or, your,
0: who was your number two there?
2: Kim Reynolds, perhaps governor of Iowa, or I could see Nikki Haley as a great vice presidential candidate. Again, someone that supplements a little bit different, different part of the country, um, but delivering a kind of a consistent message Um I think that's what you're looking for as a vice presidential candidate.
0: We've got a pause right now. Bruno, I want to come back. I've got a lot of questions for you as well. In fact, I want you to be thinking about who who your running mate's suggestion would be to Donald Trump. If Donald Trump has is running away with this, what do you want him to be thinking about insofar as his running mate? Because that running mate, he basically is anointing that running mate basically lead the party when he leaves. I'm Bruce Dumont. 1-800-723-8029. Richard Porter and Bruno Barrender are here. Back shortly.
5: Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than 1 million credits for prior learning, which means you can save nearly half the cost of your bachelor's. See how close you are to finishing your degree at purdueglobal.edu. That's purdueglobal.edu. At Jersey Mike's, you can elevate any sub by getting the juice.
4: Red wine, vinegar, and an olive oil blend. It's how a Jersey Mike sub gets its exquisite zing and how bites get boosted. The juice adds a certain something extra. An exclamation on top of the freshly sliced meats and toppings. A kind of exclamation you can eat. Order Jersey Mike's subs on our mobile app and get delivery right to your home or pick up from your nearest Jersey Mike sub location. Jersey Mike's, be a sub above.
5: What if the music stopped, if the familiar voices were silenced, if there were no breaking news updates, what if your companion and connection to your community came with a monthly fee? Don't worry, we're free local radio with you wherever you go. Celebrating 100 years and looking forward to the next 100. We are broadcasters. Text radio to 52886 and let Congress know you depend on your local TV and radio stations. This message furnished by the National Association of Broadcasters.
6: Why was the basketball court all
4: wet? Because the players kept dribbling on it.
5: The dad (laughs) joke. Corny,
4: groan-worthy. But also, one of the simplest ways to share a moment with your kids. What did the buffalo say when he dropped his son off for school? Bye, son. (laughs) So take a moment to make your kid laugh, because dad jokes rule. Make your kid laugh today. Go to fatherhood.gov. Brought to you by the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services and the Ad Council. No word in the English language is less convincing than probably.
0: Bruce Dumont, we continue from uh, Beyond the Beltway, and this is uh, AM 560. That's uh, our home base here uh, just outside Chicago. Elk Grove Village is the exact name of the suburb, and 1-800-723-8289 is the phone number. After the break, coming up uh, at the top of the hour, we're going to be joined by Charles Lipson, Professor Emeritus from the University of Chicago, and uh, we'll be switching gears talking about other topics at that particular moment. But again, I want to go back to Bruno Berend because I had asked him the question uh, uh, who he would recommend if Donald Trump would take your call, who would you recommend as his running mate? Uh,
3: I think the most – if they haven't – this is why I was so mad about everybody screaming at each other and calling each other names. And Donald Trump is the worst uh, person here, I mean the worst offender, um, because he recognizes DeSantis as probably his top-tier threat uh, he's ripping into DeSantis all the time, whereas DeSantis would probably be the best—he would be the best uh, conventional choice. And the best unconventional choice, even though I don't like him that much, would be Ramaswamy. Because you just, you're handing off from an older generation to a newer generation, and you're handing off to somebody who, independent of Esther's denials— May very well be running as a stalking horse with and for Donald Trump, given the, their connection on the back channels of some, you know, popular, uh, you know, conservative activist types.
2: One fly in the ointment: uh, the mm-hmm. vice president has to be from a different state, like right. Florida. The president. Right. So, uh, so DeSantis is out of the
3: box. Okay. Right. Well, and then, and, and I doubt he'll pick Nikki Haley. Um, you know, I like DeSantis the most. I think Nikki Haley might be at this moment in time the most electable. I just wish. All of them, I would just with Haley and DeSantis would uh, be the would be the one person to go up against Trump, and the rest of them would get out of the race. Um, it, it is, with the with the vote split, there's no way Trump loses. Could he?
0: Could, could he? Uh, and, and Nikki Haley? Could they smoke the peace pipe? Do you think that they could ever get back together again? Knowing Donald Trump's uh, ego and his personality, uh, could he ever forgive and forget uh, any indiscretion that he perceives that has come from Nikki Haley?
2: Yes, yeah, so look, I think uh, the, the track record with the president is that he may break up with someone uh, and then they leave his administration or leave his service, but then he starts becoming friends with them again you know, going forward. So it just depends how it plays out uh, and, you know, what else happens. But I think, I think anything's possible with uh, President Trump in terms of uh, where that goes. And, again, I, I think that we're better off going in a different direction.
0: <clears throat> and, I should mention that, that uh, if you look at certainly the New York Times poll, it, it stunned me that in all the key states that Donald Trump has to win in 2024, at this moment, in four out of the five out of the six states, he is leading Joe Biden at the moment. Again, we're a year away, but he has a lead in states that, frankly, I didn't think he would ever have a lead in. And I said that a couple of weeks ago on the program. But as I look at the races and, and the various, uh, you know, ballot or the polling that's taken place, it says that Nikki Haley would be the strongest candidate, that she
3: beats Biden by a
0: wider margin.
3: That that makes perfect sense, though, because we don't know if, if any of these polls are necessarily true Uh, at this moment in time. I mean, they're just snapshots. So if if the election were held today, so to speak, whatever he says. But the reason Nikki Haley is, I mean, first of all, she's an attractive woman. Second of all, she's very well-spoken. She has a good track record. Third of all, she brings back suburban women. Um, If You know, I mean, the Republicans lost, they they lose permanently probably for a long, for a, a wide variety of reasons, suburban women or moderate suburban women, uh, because of Donald Trump, uh, a good number of those people come back with Nikki Haley at the helm.
0: She's a good candidate. Richard, your response to that? I, I actually agree with
2: that that analysis. I mean, I think uh, Sarah Sanders is who is the current buzz is a possible running mate, and Sarah is uh, off to a good start as governor of Arkansas. She was formerly his spokesperson for a right. couple of years, and uh, interesting possibility. I think I think Kristi uh, Noem in South Dakota is an interesting possibility. Um, but, you know, we'll see what happens on that. Does it have I mean, to be about, a female? It doesn't have to be, but I think that we have so many great leaders. I, I, when, look, one of the things I, I observed about President Trump, he's perpetually optimistic and he's perpetually alpha. And so he actually does better with women advisors than he does with men. And so if I were to give him two cents, I would take, I would populate the top tier of the administration with great, fabulous women advisors. For him to work with, because I just think the interaction with them will be more smooth and productive than it is sometimes. You look at these generals and these other, you know, it always became yeah. sort of a manhood thing between them. Yes. And I, I think you're better off with highly talented, fabulous women advisors if it's president. I think you're Trump. right.
0: I think did, to, to some extent he did that last time, though. Yeah, and look so far at Kellyanne Conway as, 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 far as the campaign. No, yep. I think you're right. I think the one thing is is that with 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 Nikki Haley. Uh, who, by the way, uh, we don't have a representative here this evening to talk about Nikki Haley. Uh, I would say, first of all, I thought she, was, she did a terrific job at the, on the debate. She's done a terrific job on the debates. Uh, it bothers me that she's running poorly in her home state, but she's running against Donald Trump. Um, I'd like to know a little bit more about what her husband does and a little bit more about— the charges that uh, you know she's been on the board of companies that have made uh, a lot of money, some of the things that Vivek has had to say. But I would think that she would give Joe Biden a run for the money. In fact, I would put all my money on her. I think of, of those non-Trump people, I think she is the most likely to get elected for, for a variety of reasons. And I thought her answer on abortion uh, the other night was the best answer I've heard from a Republican ever. Well, what I don't understand abortion. is for 40, what's it been,
2: uh, 50 years, we've been begging the court to turn it back to the states. And by doing that, it's no longer a constitutional right. Right. Because it's not a constitutional right, there is no basis in Article 1 of the Constitution for Congress to take any action with regard to abortion. I don't know why we don't have just the answer that this is now a state issue. And from a presidential well, point of view,
0: uh It's got to be something that we just got to move to the states on. We've got to pause. Uh, When we come back in the next hour, we're going to be joined by Charles Lipson from the University of Chicago. He's the professor emeritus there. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thank you very much for joining us. Again, 1-800-723-80289. Bruno Barron will be back. Richard Porter will be back making his – I think he's making his first appearance, but he reminds me that (laughs) he's been here a couple of times before, so that's my brain uh, freezing before you. Again, a uh, great panel this evening. We're going to be talking about a variety of other issues, including uh, Israel and Palestine, getting your reaction on that. I'm Bruce Dumont. Don't go away. After news, we will return for another full hour of Beyond the Beltway from Elk Grove Village in Chicago.
5: Going back to school as a working adult doesn't mean you have to sacrifice a high-quality education. Purdue University, a top 10 public university, took its innovative thinking to a new level when it created Purdue University Global for working adults. Discover innovative, practical ways to earn your degree online and advance your career. Purdue Global has already awarded more than $1
0: Bruce Dumont, you are listening to hour number two of Beyond the Beltway this evening. Nice to have you with us, along with uh, Richard Porter, who joins me in studio, and Bruno Barron. We are now joined by Charles, uh, Charles Lipson, who is Professor Emeritus from the University of Chicago, a frequent guest on this program. And uh, one of the things we did not talk uh, in our last broadcast about, our last hour, was uh, what happened last Tuesday uh, where Republicans appeared to be on the losing end of some key races, not only for the gubernatorial race in Kentucky, but also in Ohio with a big referendum there and also in Virginia. And so I want to get a reaction from our studio guests uh, to uh, to those changes. And Bruna, you've been following this uh, quite closely.
3: Well, first of all, the, the, the big, the Big media takeaway is that Republicans are going to get crushed on abortion because abortion is the big issue, and and there's certainly some evidence to back that up, given uh, you know what they say about Virginia, particularly the referendum in Ohio, and so on and so forth. Um, I'm less familiar with the gubernatorial race in Kentucky. Uh, in Ohio, I think they were running. A, there there was a there was a broad language uh, Proposition One, and it was running against and side by side a very, very restrictive pro-life amendment. And so you had a – my understanding is you had a very, very clear juxtaposition of two different extremes as opposed to uh, two kind of moderate competing ideas. Um, I've just been reading some interesting articles about Virginia, and the news there is far less bad for Republicans than the general uh, mainstream media spin is putting out there. Number one, the map had changed, and the and and taking over all the houses was actually a specific goal in writing that map. And if you actually look at counting the votes and the raw number of votes, the Republicans are within one seat in the Senate and within two seats, actually one. It's like it's like only a uh, one seat in in either house and youngkin's message on abortion actually performed better than anybody thought it would which would be I'll promise to do a 15 week limit and 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 with with exceptions and the democrats didn't you know they 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 won those races but they didn't run the table on any of this stuff.
0: Richard Porter your reaction to uh, last Tuesday's primaries.
3: Well, I I don't think we found the uh, the proper
2: approach yet for abortion. In my opinion, the Democrats have been emboldened with this issue. Anyone that thinks it's not going to be an issue in their race is making a mistake. I think it ought to be something that we need to be on our toes on an offense as opposed to being on our heels and trying to dodge. Uh, I think the only answer here is to highlight the extremism of the Democrats. Every single Democrat in Congress and in every legislature where the Democrats control the state. Their position is unlimited abortion, abortion up to the moment of birth. Um, And they're often against parental consent. So I think the focus has to be less on defining a position that you're for in terms of a restriction and instead focusing on how the Democrats are unwilling and unable to reach a reasonable compromise. And so focus on where they are as opposed to making a big issue out of some arbitrary number in terms of what ought to be. Charles, let
0: a question to you. uh, Looking at the primaries of last uh, Tuesday, uh, what is your uh, analysis of what happened?
7: Well, let me focus on the uh, political side of it, uh, which is what your question uh, focuses on. Sure. I think the first big winner is Joe Biden. Um, Barack Obama and David Astorod had been clearly trying to push him out. And the fact that the Democrats won really changed things. If he had, if there had been big losses, um, there would have been increased pressure to get him out. Second loser, I think, was actually DeSantis, because DeSantis agreed to a six-week abortion Uh, ban in uh, Florida and my general sense is that Republicans lose on a lot of these social issues when they become the dominant issue in the campaign. Uh, It's hard to change that around. Uh, because of the media control by the Democrats, but I, but that's that those are the main political takeaways, I think.
0: Mm-hmm. I want to switch gears and, and talk about the other huge story in the world today, and that is uh, Israel and and Gaza and what's happening there, uh, the way in which uh, Israel is responding uh, to the terrorist attacks against them on October seventh. And again, I want to begin I want to begin with you, Charles, uh, on this particular point. The way this is playing out on television, including the coverage of of hundreds of thousands of people around the world taking part in pro-Palestinian demonstrations. Are you worried that Israel may be losing the propaganda war at this moment in time?
7: I think it's lost the propaganda war. I thought it uh, only held it for a week or so after the um, uh, terrorist attacks, and then you knew... That anything Israel did coming back would be opposed by uh, progressive media, progressive elites, a lot of Muslims on campus across the U.S. and Europe and Britain, and that—that's exactly what's happened. But I think a second thing has actually happened, uh, which is that in. Uh, universities what was happening with this kind of radical takeover of universities was known by people on campus but I think now it's been exposed to a wider public and I don't think that that's good for the strong left on many of these campuses and I know it's not good uh, for donor relationships with these universities is there a
0: pro-Palestinian position that can be articulated that you would say as as a free speech guy, that you could accept, Charles.
7: Oh, I can accept nearly all of them as long as they don't uh, intimidate or you know bully and certainly not threaten. Basically, anything that's consistent with the uh, First Amendment uh, is is fine with me. Now, I'm troubled by organizations like. Um, uh, Students for Justice in Palestine and Jewish Voices for Peace, which have openly supported Hamas terror attacks. That, I think, is unacceptable. And it's certainly unacceptable on c- campus, even if it's not necessarily a violation of the First Amendment. But it's, it's a debatable issue. It, it's disgusting.
0: Bruno, a question to you. Do you favor a pause or any kind of a ceasefire in this war at the moment?
3: No. Uh, what I Well, here's what I – I think the good news regarding whether Israel is or isn't losing a propaganda war is that the Israelis don't care whether they're losing in a propaganda war. The Israelis are going to do what they, – they're going to do what they feel is necessary independent of the propaganda war at least, at least much harder and farther than anybody else might care about it, right? Like we, we live in an age here in, in America where every politician is a coward – and they're all afraid of their own base and they're all afraid of their own shadow and they and, and you know, with a few exceptions uh, or they, they cater to their base to sound tough, but they would never even they're too afraid to ever, you know, make any moderate comments Biden or anything. Included? Uh, Biden especially. I mean, Biden's one of the biggest coward of all um, to the extent that he even knows what it is he's saying. Um, so I think the Israelis are gonna they're gonna they're gonna do what they're gonna do, and if, if they get in real trouble politically, maybe they'll back off. Uh, so let let the Israelis figure out what they have to do to take care of Hamas, and uh, and then see where the chips fall. Um, there's there, there's no reason for doing a ceasefire against uh, Hamas at this point.
0: I want to get a reaction from Richard Porter when we continue one 8289 Your reaction. Do you favor out there in radio and TV land? Do you favor any kind of a ceasefire in this war? Back shortly. Bruce Dumont back, and uh, Richard Porter, my question to you is, uh, insofar as a ceasefire is concerned, um, do you think that, that depending on what happens, obviously, that there could be continued pressure on Joe Biden uh, that he would uh, somehow make a even a stronger position uh, or statement in support of Israel, which could hurt him politically uh, next year or this year?
2: Well, I think there are parties divided on this. Um, I, I think that uh, the hard left is pro- Hamas. Uh, it, it's been a very revealing uh, episode uh, in terms of, I think, highlighting how crazy the left is on some things. I mean, the left is driven and animated by this belief in intersectionality of the of the oppressed and the oppressors. And they kind of carry this through in all sorts of areas. And it's a new form of Marxism, which replaces class warfare with this power dynamic, which is, you know, across the idea of anti-colonialist versus the colonialists. And so if you're for the oppressed, then somehow you're for Hamas, even when they commit atrocities. By focusing on this and this groupism, it shows how the left is inhumane. They don't really care about the lives of any individual human being, that anything can be sacrificed. For pursuit of some of these ideas, it's a very scary and unfortunate circumstance, and shocking. And I think that's the—I mean, the Democrats. I mean, I think is one of the things that Bruno said earlier. They're in a worse place than the Republicans are because of this kind of divide between, I think, regular Americans, <laughs> you know, who believe in in you know uh, God-given rights and the individual, sta- you know, moral standing of human beings, and these group ideologs, I- ideologues. Who, who don't really care about individual human beings. It's shocking. Do, do, you, think,
0: do you think that the conduct uh, of the Israeli defense forces in Gaza could get to a point with, with the pictures that we see every night on television to the point where there would be a massive uh, rejection of Israel in its role because the American people will say too much. It's you know they won't they won't buy that hospitals are being used as protective uh, you know locations for uh, for Hamas leadership. You know they may believe it, but again, if we have if we have days or, or weeks or months of pictures of dead people who are in hospitals, uh, what, what's the reaction going to be to that, Charles?
7: Well, it's going to be grim. And they will, uh, I do think American support will fade. And I think that there'll be a a cleavage, uh, deeper uh, and more important cleavage within the Democratic Party. I think the bigger problem for Israel is what to do after they win. Um, How will they govern Gaza? And will uh, all the damage that they've inflicted actually create a new set of problems, not only within Gaza, but across the Middle East, which was the reason that Iran wanted this attack in the first place.
0: Does anybody believe that the the hundreds of thousands uh, that have demonstrated in the streets of America as well as around the world, but let's let's focus on what's been happening on college campuses and in large cities in the United States. Uh, with the pro-Palestinian. Do you believe those are, are they pro-Palestinian or are they pro-Hamas? Uh, and, do, and do you see a difference between yeah. the two? There's no practical yeah. difference. On that. I mean, I, 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 I agree.
2: This, yeah, I was going to say, I mean, I think that the Palestinians in the, in the Gaza Strip voted for Hamas overwhelmingly. They seem to support them. If they wanted to get out, they would have gotten out. I you know, I think people try to make that distinction. I, I don't know how it can be maintained. Yeah, there,
3: there, there's, there, there was some interesting, I, I saw some interesting podcasts, you know, and I, I like to go to the podcast world and listen to the people who I think look at things a little bit better than the cable news people do. And, you know, it's like it, it, we we in the West, you know, the suburban soccer mom, the general American voter, we think that somewhere in, the, in Gaza, there's like Hamas terrorists and extremists and then... And they're like ten percent or five percent of the people, and then there's just those poor Hamas or Palestinian people that are that are being tar- you know abused by them or something. It's like if you really look at the, what what happens. I mean, they, they the the Jewish girl. I mean, I hate bringing stuff like this up on the air, but like the Jewish girl who they dragged into Gaza after dragging her from the the that concert event, and the 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 people in Gaza hate the Jews. And they're they're going they've been trained to hate them. They they, they, they get anti Jewish everything, cradle to But There's to grave. a
0: growing number of people in the United States who hate Jews. Well, they're
3: That's wrong shocking. too. Whether they're in the street or not well and Bruce I'll just I'll just say this last thing. Maybe the best thing about this horrific situation is that the American people, particularly the American soccer mom and the moderate and the moderate Democrat, finally realize what all of their funding of our horrible public schools and our crazy off-the-charts universities – Has given them. It's given them an army of the most greedy, worthless administrators in the world, sucking down future earnings of every college student so that they can put people in schools and in college to learn how to hate Jewish people. That's what you're with that. If you're listening to this radio show, when you support public education, you are supporting the promotion of anti Semitism through a paid class of administrators and unionized teachers who actually believe this crap. And as, um, Robert pointed out, they're they're all closet Marxists if they're not open Marxists. Charles,
0: do the hundreds of thousands of pro-Palestinian, pro-Hamas demonstrators in the streets of America, do they represent a national security threat to life in the United States?
7: The threat, I think, comes from the open border and the fact that Iran and some of the other radical Muslim states, which believe in terror assaults uh, have sent across people and may have sleeper cells in the United States. Uh, we have something like on the order of 8 million people who've come across, and there's huge numbers of so-called gotaways, and the gotaways are not a random sampling of all the people who came across. They're the people who most wanted to avoid being caught, and thus would include a lot of terrorists. So. I think that that, by the way, I think that's a huge political, as awful as it would be, it's also a huge political risk for the current administration because they let the border go open.
0: Well, Joe Biden last week made a big point that he was concerned about uh, anti-Islamophobia. That was his concern. He he has spoken about anti-Semitism in the past, but his big initiative last week, was about Islamophobia. Now again, did, let's look at that as an issue, because that is that is likely to also be an issue that we're going to have to address in the not too distant future. Richard,
7: well, the uh, well, director go ahead, go Ray, ahead. director Ray, spoke to this issue. Yes, he did uh, last week. He said that Jews represent under three percent of the population and well over sixty percent of all the hate crimes in, in the country. And I would say that a substantial number of those actually come, uh, from the group that we were just talking about. I loathe the idea of Islamophobia, but like so many of these, uh, terms, it's overused. It's not just used in the sense that it exaggerates the number of, um, the number of attacks on people, all of which are loathsome, and I I completely am repelled by them. But uh, you can criticize any of these countries, including Iran and uh, Saudi Arabia and all of the rest, uh, without being Islamophobic. Was the New York, was the Washington Post accused of Islamophobia when they tried to defend um, Khashoggi, who had been murdered uh, by uh, the Saudi Arabians? No. It was a it was a legitimate issue,
2: Richard. Yeah, I, look, I think Islamophobia, any kind of hate of other groups, is unAmerican, and uh, you know, I think that's a core principle of being an American is the idea of loving thy neighbor, uh, and and that kind of individual respect for other human beings is what's made America such a great place to be. It's why so many people want to be here. Uh, the danger is uh, around group thought. Is really coming from the left. The left is the one that identifies people as members of groups instead of as individuals. On the right, you're identifying individuals and there's a lot less groupism. But in any event, I mean certainly it's the case that the president ought to be speaking out primarily about uh, the dangers of anti-semitism because that's what we're actually seeing. Islamophobia is a risk. It's wrong. It's unquestionably wrong. But let's make sure we focus on what's actually happening today on these college campuses. We had
0: a guest last week, Rush Darwish, who is a Palestinian-American. He was making the point that the president is in, is in very, very deep water with the Arab community in the United States. And he made the case that it's very possible that Joe Biden will be losing support with American Jews. At the same time, he's losing support with American Muslims.
3: Well, and again, that that goes back to the point I was trying to make earlier. Um, that the, the other, the biggest problem you have on the part of the Democrats, and it's and the Republicans can be guilty of pandering to to their base and everything too. But you know, Biden doesn't know what to do, and he's basically run by his advisors. So when one of them says, "Say something about the Jews," that you know, "Say something that the, we have to defend the Jews," he'll say something. And there's like, Go oh, say something to you know, but against, against Islamophobia." And this is a guy who can't get the. He, he, I don't think he. Any. I don't think he has the capacity to understand how to communicate any of this stuff any longer. And how he, should he be doing? it? Well, I, here's the here's the problem. I, there could be here could be the bad answer to it. The bad answer to it is that the people in Michigan who the, you know the, the the Islamic community in Michigan. That's the key m- state. Maybe they really do hate the Jews that much. Maybe they really are a problem, and maybe that's not Islamophobic to say so. Could be the truth.
0: Can you be against this policy and not anti-Semitic, Charles?
7: Which policy?
0: The the, the policy of of, of of the United States at this moment.
7: You can be against any policy without being anti-Semitic, but I I don't think you get an automatic pass by simply saying so.
0: And if the if 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 in your mind. Uh, B.B. Netanyahu at this moment. If you saw him on television today, I thought he was terrific on Meet the that Press. In fact, I would go and take a look at that. Uh, look it up, because I thought he did a terrific job with Christian Wilker uh, on Meet the Press. I'm Bruce Dumont, back shortly. back, and we're going to take a moment to let each of our guests introduce themselves with a little uh, added uh, description, and we're going to begin with Charles Lipson. Go ahead, Charles.
7: Uh, I'm an emeritus professor at the University of Chicago. As I always tell Bruce, emeritus means great with merit, uh, <laughs> and I've been on uh, Bruce's show for many years. I come from Marks, Mississippi. I was educated at a couple of Eastern universities, which have declined rapidly since I left.
0: How are things at the University of Chicago these days with the demonstrations? Well, there
7: have been uh, serious demonstrations, including the shouting down of Jewish students who had a permit for, uh, to, to speak on the campus, and then others came in. But when uh, there was a movement to sit in at the admissions office, and those students, uh, saw, uh, they were arrested um, wow. So it looks like the university is going to fight back against this illiberal mm-hmm. tendency. That's what I try to tell people. Right. It's illiberal, not just anti-Semitic. Right,
0: and that and, and University of Chicago has been in the forefront of, of uh, that position for a number of years now. Uh, Richard Porter, uh-huh. uh, tell us a little bit about yourself, other than you're a member of the National Republican Committee, but uh, there's a lot more to you.
2: Sure. I've been a member of the RNC for almost 10 years now, uh, and uh, it's been a real pleasure to serve the people of Illinois in that capacity. Um, I've been an Illinois resident for 30 years. It's actually 35 of the last 40 years. Uh, In the interviewing period of time, I was in Washington working in the first Bush administration where I ran the Domestic Policy Council and then was later Dan Quayle's counselor. I've been here since 1993, raising a family, um, and uh, very pleased to be here. I I, uh, I'm a graduate of the Great University of Chicago uh, for graduate school and uh, went to school back east at also another school that has declined sadly in, in quality and reputation as a result of going woke. It's a sad situation. Bruno
3: Barrett, a little bit about your I, background. I, I went to U of I, and I don't know how badly its reputation has declined or <laughs> not declined. I also went to uh, Kent College of Law, uh, got a law degree i I've Illinois, born and raised. I've been with the Heartland Institute for a while as a as a, um Senior fellow on education reform. I haven't really done a lot of work in that in that field recently. Uh, kind of now working in the nonprofit world, where I tell people I flip houses for Jesus. So I work in an organization. I work in an organization that, uh, that uh, um, kind of does what Habitat for Humanity used to do when it, back when it was faith based. Mm-hmm. But we're doing it for one specific town uh, here in um, northern Illinois, and we're trying to flip it from seventy uh, thirty rental to seventy thirty ownership. Okay, you. very good.
0: Cool. Question to you, Richard. I want to go back to uh, some things we discussed earlier in the broadcast. Uh, one was uh, was Donald Trump, but again, uh, uh, you're a, you're a lifelong attorney, and at least in your adult life, in in your view, can Donald Trump serve as president of the United States if he has been convicted of a crime?
2: Uh, there's no constitutional bar uh, to that effect, uh, so I don't think, as a legal matter, uh, it's that. Issue is implicated. It'd certainly, be a unique situation, uh, and uh, you know I think we'll see how the American people play that out. It's not the first time in American politics we've seen a uh, someone pursuing an office uh, after having been convicted, but certainly sort of not as a president before. So um, I think it's it's something realistically that Republican voters ought to look at and factor into their thinking. I mean, looking ahead to November, make a call for which one of our great candidates. Uh, would be the strongest candidate next November in light of the risk that that, whether it's fair or not fair, it's just a fact. I mean, it's just, he's going to be at risk in a way that no one else is. And is that to the advantage of the cause? Is the cause bigger than the man or is the man bigger than the cause? And I think that's something people got to think about.
0: Bruno, could Donald Trump serve as president of the United States if he were behind bars? I,
3: again, there's no, uh, we're both lawyers. Robert put it out. Pointed out there, uh, there's no constitutional bar to it. I mean, you could, he could get a phone, and you know, hold cabinet meetings. Can, you know, who knows? I mean, this is the these are the crazy years, right? You know, we we have gays for Palestine. We have all kinds of crazy stuff going on in the world, and Donald Trump could conceivably win election and and have to serve as president. I, it would be fascinating to see what happens. As but. a
2: practical matter, there's no chance that he'd be in jail. Uh, if he were convicted in state court, Governor Kemp would pardon him. If he were to win presidency, I'm certain of that. If he's in federal court, he gets to pardon himself uh, as his first... Out my, that's my understanding...
7: understanding. My understand. Oh, he would pardon Charles. himself Charles. from the federal crimes. Well, my understanding is that it's uh, that that's not so easy to do in Georgia, and may not be possible. Well, well, well. I'm not so sure that Governor. I'm
0: not so sure that Governor Kemp.
3: Let him off. Either, oh, he you know? would
7: be under enormous yes, pressure yes. to do it.
3: Yeah, enormous. I, I guess the the other thing too, and and this is you know I've looked at I've read articles and I've looked at some of the cases, and I don't have as much legal experience as Robert does, but um, you know the the other thing is what happens if Trump wins? Like, what happens if Trump wins one of these cases in that he doesn't get convicted or the prosecution is much weaker than everybody thinks it is? Mm-hmm. You know, I have friends who look at this and they say, "Oh, the documents case there he's toast the people have been saying Trump is toast forever, and he never gets toasted at least not yet i mean he he lost twenty twenty um you know by by some accounts, but the fact of the matter is that if he wins one of those cases, I mean you could see a whole bunch of bubbles burst on the left." Mm-hmm. Um, and, and, and then you've got Cornell West and, and who knows if Joe Manchin gets in. So who Robert Kennedy and Robert Kennedy. And, and the interesting thing is that I didn't even think those polls would have much of an impact. I was, I thought, well, maybe those polls will have some impact on Biden. Every single national poll where Kennedy and Cornell are in there, Trump loses a couple points and Biden goes down to 35.
0: Again, I want to go back to Richard for, for, for a practical question. Sure. If Donald Trump were to be convicted of one of these crimes, it creates the situation where he could still serve. But again, it would be very there would be a lot of legal action, I would assume. Uh, As a lawyer, of all the cases that he is involved in and the various counts that are out there, 90 plus counts. As a lawyer, which is the which is the most troublesome case to you, either legally or morally?
2: Uh, I don't want to speculate about them I, I don't think I have a, any special insight in terms of the, you know the facts uh, or the law in Georgia or in the on the documents case I think the documents case is likely to be postponed anyway till after the uh, election so I think it's likely to be the DC case or the Georgia case that'll occur if they occur before the uh, the election you know I you know we'll see how it plays out I, I mean look I think it's a fact that Democrats are trying to do this and I think that, that is the key fact that I think the uh, the voters ought to bear in mind when they're choosing the candidate to represent us in November. Who's going to be the strongest candidate in November of 24 in light of the fact that these cases will be proceeding one way or the other?
0: Do you see any candidate that Donald Trump would uh, yield to? I want to ask you that, Charles.
7: No. Nobody. He, he, Does he, he yield is, to anybody? He is totally committed to himself. And only to himself. And you've seen what happens when any of his advisors uh, depart with him on any issue. He Would just you say the same them.
0: thing about Joe Biden?
7: I think Joe Biden is much more of a weather vane. Uh, uh, Trump uh, points only in his own direction. Joe Biden points whichever way the wind is blowing on a lot of issues. I think the one thing that surprised me about Biden is that uh, on both Ukraine and Israel, he looks much more like a conventional cold warrior than the modern Democratic Party does.
0: And what is the future of US support for Ukraine in your view, Richard? Well, I think the president
2: could get support for Ukraine out of the House of Representatives if he closes our southern border today. He needs to make policy changes. It's not a budget issue. They, as a matter of policy, have to start treating these asylum requests, which everybody knows are fake. They come in, they read a card, and just recognize that these are, you know, these are these are fraudulent claims. And so, do as Trump did: restart the stay in Mexico policy. With that kind of a move, with a show of good faith like that, he'd be in a much stronger position to go to the House of Representatives and try to get support for Ukraine. And a word on Ukraine: I, I look, I think. Um, I, I actually was a student of Russian history in college back in the day. Uh, and I think that people have lost sight of what's happening here. Ukraine was part of Russia for longer than Texas has been part of the United States. Uh, the current boundaries of Ukraine were drawn by Khrushchev at a time when all the territory was controlled by the Russian oligarchs. And at that point, it didn't really matter where the border was. And so the war has moved to a point of stalemate at this point. And I think that it's important for us to recognize it's a stalemate and act accordingly. Um, Our strategic interest is against Russia. It is to give Russia the bloody nose. That's occurred. Where we go from here, I think there needs to be some more thought put into what's happening.
0: Vivek Ramashrami said that uh, that, uh, there's not a democracy, that that Ukraine is not a democracy. He listed chapter and verse as to where he thinks Zelensky is wrong. Charles, did you uh, agree with anything that Vivek had to say at that point?
7: Vik is an embarrassment to the American political system. The fact that he's even on the stage it is an embarrassment. And uh, I completely agreed with Nikki Haley, who, by the way, I think is by far the strongest candidate in the general election. I think she could win going away and carry both houses. Did he,
0: even though you dislike him, did he have a point to to make?
7: Well, the, uh, the Ukraine still has a big corruption problem mm-hmm. but this american first ism uh, that basically would get us out of nato and says that we can sort of pull back behind the atlantic and the pacific is i think a, a disastrous policy recommendation and and it's distressing that that seems to be um, donald trump's policy now too
0: when we come back we're going to hear from bruno barron on that a last segment coming up we've got a caller on the line we'll bring that conversation to you when we come back from chicago have saved the big political news of last week to the very end. In my opinion, the decision of Joe Manchin not to seek re-election. Looking ahead to 2024 with all of the other Republicans and Democrats battling each other, uh, it seems to me that the Republicans are going to regain control of the U.S. Senate, and there's a possibility that Joe Manchin will also run as an independent or part of the no labels ticket. So I want to get reaction from uh, you, uh, Richard, as to uh, the power and influence of Joe Manchin.
2: Look, I think Joe Manchin is a snake in the grass. Uh, I don't buy the idea that he's moderate. I buy the idea that he's a cagey left-wing Democrat that's been operating in a Republican environment and doing the best he can to survive. He recognizes that Governor Justice was going to trounce him. Yep. And I think it's time to move on. He wants, I mean, if he could do a swan song as being a national candidate, sure. But I think any Republican that's thinking he's a moderate and an alternative to a real Republican, forget about it. He's a real Democrat.
3: Uh, Bruno. I, I tend to agree with that assessment. Um, and I'll, I'll, but I will say this uh, I love the fact that Cornel West is in. I love the fact that Robert F. Kennedy is running as an independent. Um, I think. I think uh, if if Mansion gets in, uh, he I think he definitely hurts uh, Biden more than Trump. Um, I think would uh, he
0: get in as the presidential candidate, or would he get in with, with Romney? Because the two of them are talking. Well, is it uh, well, clear to you that uh, if Romney
3: was at the top of the ticket, I think it might hurt Trump more. But I mean, the the Trump voters and the Republicans are so suspicious of Romney, a, a little bit unfairly, in my opinion. I've, I mean, I'm I come from the you know, conservative wing of the party, and and when I was back and more active here, I was the guy who was always, you know, telling the establishment to stop, you know, blowing smoke in our face and and all that other kind of stuff. But I've so pulled, you're not a bomb thrower. Well, what are you thrower? I what I, what are I you am a pie is, thrower. No, what I basically do is I, I, I say if if the if the angry foot stomping blah blah blah, I don't want to hear anything right that wants to stomp their feet about everything. If they just would stop hating on the establishment long enough to Go to the establishment and talk to them. We're the majority party in this country.
0: Can the Republicans win without that wing of the party, Charles? Don't they need the firebrands? Don't they? You you hate uh, Vivek, but I mean, don't they need him and and uh, uh, the supporters in talk radio that think he's terrific?
7: For turnout, perhaps, but those yeah. people really have nowhere else uh, to go, and they'll get them with Donald Trump if Trump is not on the ticket. Um, everything is up in the air, but if Trump is on the ticket, uh, they'll they'll have him, and then the problem will be: can they win Winnetka?
3: Well, well that's I don't know Winnetka. Is... Let's
0: ask the man who lives near
3: Winnetka. Well, I, I will say you this. look
0: down your nose at Winnetka. No, you live I don't. In Lake Forest.
3: I don't. <laughs> I grew up in Lake Forest. Okay. I live I live in Har- I live in Highland Park, um, but oh. I, I grew up in Lake Forest, so I I swing both. Uh, you know. <laughs> Both suburban ways. Um, no, not that the inter- there's anything wrong with that. Yeah, not that there's anything wrong with that. Exactly, Charles. No, the um, I, I will say that I, I just wanted to get this one point in. I did read the Wall Street Journal editorial, and whether Mansion is a snake in the grass or not, he he made some interesting points in that um, in in that article, and I thought, you know, there is something to be said for a robust center and a a robust center-right you not everybody who's centrist is a is a mushy bowl of oatmeal there there you know we used to have charles percy's in the republican party and sam Nunn's in the democratic party and america worked better when that happened and it was less of an Mm -hmm. embarrassment when that happened and you know, and I keep on saying that's we we need to figure out a way to do that again because the idea that we can co- continuously separate and separate and separate and stomp our feet and throw you know tantrums and then have uh, riots and 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 you know the, all the craziness going on on the left—it's got to stop on both sides. And I think the left is worse than the right, but you know, you look at some of the stuff people on our side say.
0: As a member of the Republican National Committee, uh, uh, Richard, are you? Do you get along with the Trumpsters in the state of Illinois?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, look, I I, I uh, supported President Trump in 2016, again in 2020. Uh, I did the nominating video for him in 2020. So, look, I, I think it, for every season there's a, there's a candidate, and I think that Donald Trump was the right person in 2016. I think he's the wrong person in 2024. Um, and so, you know, I... I'm not, I don't hate Donald Trump. I'm not an anti-Trumper. I just think we have better options that we ought to execute on so we can actually win the election in 2020.
0: Do you have in your mind, Richard, what uh, your guy, uh, the governor of Florida, has to do uh, in Iowa and New Hampshire? He's got
2: to win or come in a close second. It's got to change the dynamic because right now there's a lot of people that are for Donald Trump because he's the apparent incumbent. Mm-hmm. And so you got to change that dynamic by, putting, by, by making it appear that he's vulnerable. Once he's vulnerable, then there will be a chance to step back and assess, okay, who's going to be the best candidate? So, but you got to make that move either in Iowa or New Hampshire or it's going to go away pretty how,
0: fast. How does he get beyond this perception created and perpetuated by the media, I would say, is that he's dull? He doesn't quite come up. Doesn't quite measure up, and uh, they they have a negative opinion of him, which is almost as bad as the negative opinion they have of Donald Trump. Well,
2: yeah, they, the only Republicans the media likes are the dead ones. I mean, it's yeah. just a plain or or, or or the ones that are sure losers. I mean, they love <laughs> Romney. Right. They Bob love Kinsinger.
3: They love all those guys. McCain, right? Yeah, but right. When the, they're yeah, once when, when they're dead and they've lost. Tom Dewey. Yeah. So so look, I.
2: you know, the more they hate you, the better you are. I mean, that's sort of a good rule of thumb. I think DeSantis is scary to the left because he's so effective. Just think about that bridge in Florida. That
7: was his mistake. That was his mistake. He should have run on that. He should have run on the, I agree with the policies that are dominant in the Republican party right now. I'm the one who's not only gotten them, uh, implemented in florida i've made it a red state as a result and okay. he didn't do
3: that well, I, I think he i think he he he, vote, he he tried to do that pretty well on on the last debate uh charles but i know uh, it, yes. I, right but i know i know what you're saying and it, it's it's tough to do when everybody's like he's, sniping he's, at you. he's
0: he's not quite correcting uh you know connecting though There's people that I think really, remember, a lot of people that want to like him, but he just hasn't measured up as yet.
2: As yet. And remember, where was Biden at this point four years ago? He was not the dominant figure. Sleeping.
0: That's right. Uh, You are in contact with the governor. See if we can get him as a guest on Beyond the Beltway. We'll soften him up, loosen him up. We'll get him ready for Iowa. I'm Bruce Dumont. Thanks to our guest and Fritz Goldman for assistance in the production of this program Good night from Chicago.